This week on the podcast, what can I actually say? Charles Courtier is a legend in the media and advertising industry, the chairman of MSQ Partners. He has been in the advertising world for about 30 years and has had just the most fascinating career. I could have spoken to Charles literally for hours. He joined YNR in the 90s, which was later acquired by WPP and became their media, media director. In WPP, media was fully spun out of the ad agencies and MEC, now Wavemaker, came out of that. Charles became global CEO for MEC for about 14 years, responsible for 5,000 people across 80 markets. And over that time, MEC quadrupled in size and became a £1 billion business and one of the world's top five media agencies. And he is just one of the nicest people that you will ever meet, forgetting Adland, just anywhere. He has this way when he's speaking to you of making you feel like you are the most important person in the world. If you are even remotely interested in anything to do with the future of media and advertising, the importance of diversity and inclusion in media, mergers and acquisitions, and the future of the holding companies, this is the podcast for you. The only downside to Charles, the only downside, and there's, there's only one, he's an Arsenal fan, but, you know, nobody's perfect, so please don't hold that against him. Without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Charles Courtier. Charles Courtier is the chairman of MSQ Partners, an advisor and investor. MSQ Partners is a group of nine agencies joined up to help businesses take a more effective and innovative approach to their communications. He has been global CEO of MEC, now Wavemaker, which is part of WPP for 14 years, where the business quadrupled in size and became a £1 billion business. One of the world's top five media agencies. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Charles Courtier, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Thank you. Delighted to be here. Absolute pleasure having you on the show. Your background, um, let's start there, because what's even more interesting is that you actually never wanted to have a career in advertising and, and media. You wanted to be a musician from the beginning. How do you go from being a failed drummer to running what was one of the world's biggest media agencies with revenues of over a billion pounds? Uh, probably with a lot of luck. I mean, to be honest, at that time when I, you know, when I joined the advertising industry, it was not that unusual to be a failed musician or a failed film director in the advertising industry. I think the industry was full of people like that at the time. I think now it's much more organized, much more business-like and much more serious and focused. Um, but, at, but at that time, it was an industry that gathered quite a lot of misfits <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and all the better for it, probably. Sure. So it wasn't actually that unusual. And, uh, you know, in the end, I had to pay the rent and put food on the table like everyone else. And um, being a musician, unless you're either very talented or very lucky, and I was neither. You were neither. Um, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough way to make a living. It is, definitely. This conversation I'm really interested by because it's going to involve kind of setting the scene and talking a little bit about the context that we're operating in now within media and advertising and sort of where MSQ Partners fits into that. So let's start macro and then we can go micro. 
Describe for our audience what the market and landscape looks like today for media and advertising from the perspective of brands who want to sell to the the consumer, who are the main players all the way in between? So obviously, as we know, we've got the six big holding groups, we've got media owners, Facebook, Google, digital players, etc., independent media agencies, and then you've got a billion different channels in between them. Help us make sense of the landscape today. Well, that's a tall order, Nathan, because the landscape is in flux, really. I think that what you have is with the holding companies you have, you know, they are groups that have dominated the industry, shaped the current agency side of the business over the last 20 years. And they're going through change. So their change is being forced on them. On the set, at the same side, you've got the media in flux because that's changing as well, because, of course, it's been disrupted by you know, digital technology. And uh, and then thirdly, you've got the consumer that is very much, you know, in control of the communications and the entertainment and the media sphere in front of them because technology and digital have given them the, that power. So, you, you know, all the, the three main sort of protagonists in all of this, you know, are in a state of flux and have been changing for years and continue to change. And then, in the, you know, and then you have clients and brands in all of that that are finding their way with the, with the help of each of these, you know, interested parties. They're finding their way to connect the brands, obviously, with, you know, with their consumers. So it's all changing. And I would say that, you know, all the previous bets are off you know the the holding companies you know i would never write them off they're full of a lot of good people and a lot of good business but they will not dominate the industry going forward in the same way as they have done in the past and the domination right now of the googles and facebooks um you know looks in the short term difficult to to shift doesn't it i mean they really have you know, the power that sits in their hands right now is incredible. Mm. But I also am not a believer that, you know, that that mass media is over. I still think, you know, that, that you know, that television and, you know, the, the traditional media, if you like, still has an important role to play. But it, it's, it's a different role. Mm. So every, all of these big pieces are just redefining and... That their position in the marketplace is changing. Mm. It's it's interesting. It, it reminds me of when um, obviously print came into into being, and and then TV came, and then that threatened print, and 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 radio came, and these things didn't supplant what had come before. They all found their equal place to kind of coexist. And now we have print, and we have TV and radio and digital, etc. They all exist, but they don't kill off the previous sort of incarnation. That's what I'm hearing you saying. Yeah, I, I I do. I agree with that. And I and I think the sort of, you know, the death of um, the death of television, you know, is is has been an overstated um, thing completely. But I mean what you what you can see is is television changing. If you're watching Netflix, that's still television. So, you know, the, the whole medium is changing and, and the landscape changes with it. I agree with you. And I think that 
Facebook doesn't kill everything else off, but the whole landscape changes and, and the position that each medium takes within that landscape is different. It doesn't mean it doesn't have a future. It's just that its future is different from the past. So what does this look like? What does this mean for brands that want to sell their products to the consumer today? I mean, there's this massive splintering of media. It used to be really easy for brands because they would work with their agency. They'd sit next to them, a bunch of creative guys. Let's come up with a campaign. Let's put it on on TV or billboards or, or what have you. And let's sell a whole load of Marmite or Jello. Those were Doesn't... the days. <laughs> right? <laughs> Don Draper days. It's changed somewhat since then. With the splintering of media that we're all seeing, we're selling to consumers and millennials who are far more purpose-driven and motivated about the kinds of organizations and businesses that they buy from. And plus their attention is in a million different places. It makes it so much harder for brands now to sell to their end customer, what's their decision-making process in all of this? Where do they start? Because it used to be they would go to their agency. That relationship is not is not as strong as it once was in the past. What does the landscape look like for brands? Well, I think there's two parts to that. So, so one is, in a way, it's more complicated for brands to connect with consumers because for all the reasons that you just said. But in other ways, it's actually easier because there's just more opportunity. So, you know, that that direct relationship, you know, through these this myriad of, of particularly digital channels, you know, makes the direct communication between a brand and a consumer relatively easy um, and uh, or relatively direct. Anyway, put it that way. And then you sell through e-commerce as well as your bricks and mortar retail. You know, so in a, in a way, it's it's made it's made the op- the opportunities are, are that are that much greater. I think the key is in the balance of all of these things. You know, so there is still great importance in having a really strong brand and for the brand to be meaningful. So it's not all about just selling that widget at the last moment to the consumer. You know, the brand, you talk about, you know, Gen Z and millennials, etc. you know, looking for more purpose in the companies that they work with and the products that they buy. Well, that's true. So, so the, you know, the, the importance of brand and the purpose of that brand is still, is arguably more important than it ever was before. So I think the balance in, in communication terms between, you know, what is you know, awareness driving, what's mass media combined with a more personalized communication with your with your customers is finding the balance between those two things. And then lastly, to your point about are agencies more or less important than they were before, I think the role that agencies are playing is changing as well. So you know, you're seeing in-housing going on on the client side, for example. I think an agency's role in that is that if that's the right thing to do from a marketing services perspective for a client, then the agency's role is to help them make that successful. So I think, I think you know, I just think the balance of, I think agencies have a future um, just, you know, in the same way as they, they've, ha- they've had a, They've had a past, but but they have to adapt. They have to change, and it's not the agency's 
of, you know, it's not the same agency of the past that's going to be successful in the future. In 2002, you were asked to become the global CEO of MEC, which was an independent company inside of WPP. You were responsible for one of the largest media agencies overseeing more than 5,000 people in 90 countries, a founding member of WPP's Group M. You helped grow it to a billion dollars worth of revenue. Talk about what some of your biggest takeaways were from that experience. It was a very interesting time. I mean, for me at that time, a couple of things had happened. One, I had just moved to New York. I mean, literally just, you know, fresh in New York. Secondly, you know, we were uh, were responsible for a merger at that point. So WPP had acquired, you know, these two media agencies and we were merging them together globally um, to create MEC. And that's, that's a tall order, I can tell you. And then thirdly, just as we were thinking about doing this, 9-11 happened and the bottom fell out of the advertising market and um, everything just sort of stopped. And so I think, I think it was a bit of a baptism of fire, to be honest, for me. And you know, my partner in the merger was a guy called uh, Maynardo Donardis, who um, who went on to become the global CEO of OMD, amongst other things. So, um, and there were, but there were a lot of us in this situation, and um, you know, so there were there was a there was a, an element of crikey, you know, what do we do now? Mm. And I think it's it's one of those things that you just I've been asked that question lots of times before, so. What do you do? And the, the, the truth is you just get on with it. There's sort of no manual. There's no sort of checklist of, of exactly how to deal with this. So you just do one step at a time. You do what you can to, one, drive the merger forward and motivate people. And then, you know, then dealing with something like 9-11, it's a bit like dealing with the pandemic especially when it first happened here. Sure. That nobody really knows how to deal with that. So you, in a way, it's good because you're all in the same boat together. So it's not like somebody's got the answer that you don't have. You know, so you feel your way through these things together. But, but yes, I think I, think I learned a lot uh, through that process. By the way, what's the process or checklist or manual for merging two agencies together. My understanding is that you hadn't done that before, before uh, Sir Martin Sorrell asked you to do it. Yeah. How do you start thinking about how to do that? What's your process? That's a good question. In fact, my process, first of all, was to phone WPP and ask for the merger handbook. And um, because I figured, well, I have no idea how to do this. So, And none of us did. None of us did. So, yeah, so I found they said, well, we don't actually have a, 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 a handbook. And I said, well, you know, do you have, you know, just a checklist, you know, um, that, that you can, that I, so I know whether I'm doing the right things. They said, no, well, we don't have that either. And I said, well, what about top three tips of, you know, how to do a merger? And, um, and they said, well, we don't have that because actually they'd never done one before. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so in that sense, you, you know, when you realise that there, that there isn't a, an obvious trodden pathway through this, then you sort of 
gather you know good people around you and you figure out what's the practical obvious thing to do and you do step by step and i have no doubt we made lots of mistakes and um when i look back i'm sort of very glad that i went through that experience but knowing what i know now if i was offered to do it again would i do it again i'm not so sure i would it's um you know it's it's a tall order especially to do it you know in the middle of a of a recession which you know was a pretty serious recession at that time really interesting so so let's talk a little bit about media agencies more more generally because you are obviously responsible for growing a, a pretty a pretty successful one what what makes a media agency successful i mean what are the what are the things that the competitive differentiating points that you are using to differentiate a from your competition how are you out innovating the market what makes a modern media agency successful today i think i mean i think it's a very good question and 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 i i wonder whether really anybody completely knows the answer to that i think there's no uniqueness in in this business, in, in actually any of the agency business, there are lots of agencies that essentially do uh, the same thing, and there are many of them that that do it that do it well. So I'm not, I don't really believe there's uniqueness, and therefore I think true differentiation is actually very difficult to achieve. But you can be distinctive, and that is in part about you know, the team, so the people themselves, your culture, you know, your, the diversification um, of your of your business and and, you know, the way the way you approach um, a client problem, for example. So I think you can be distinct, distinctive, but probably not completely different. And I think that um, what so what makes you successful? is you know a combination of those things and the truth is is in this industry you know you go up and if you go up you're almost certainly going to come down before you go back up again mm. it's um you know it is a roller coaster from that point of view and it's it's a business of momentum and um and i and i and i think that momentum builds in agencies and it is a combination of winning new business you know, the team, the culture, you know, the, the work that you do, um, you know, builds a momentum and you ride that momentum and then it subsides and then you have to build it up again. Um, and, you know, it's quite a difficult, you know, they're difficult things to, to, to put your finger on. But I think that those agencies that, are, that, that do best also make brave moves in terms of, innovating their product and, and diversifying their business you know and i think that bravery pays off but it, you know if you're brave and you do something that's successful it's relatively easy to copy and it will be copied by, by other agencies mm. and therefore you then have to be brave and innovate again so it's quite difficult to stay on top all the time I think one of the key things that I hear you saying is the importance of team and the importance of culture. What, what have you learned about the how to hi, find, hire, motivate great 
people within an agency? What what is your process for finding exceptional people that can really help drive an agency forward? Um, I don't know that there's any secret on that. I mean, I think it's absolutely crucial. You have to have a really good team around you for any possibility of being successful. And you need to listen to that team. And I think that if the culture in the company is, and it's very hard to define culture, but you know it when you've got it, you know a company when it's got good culture. And I think that the time when I was at MEC, it did have a very particular culture that everybody could see. And I'm not sure how we knew it got there, but when you've got it, it then tends to attract the kind of people that will thrive within that culture. So in, a, in some, to some degree, it's self-selecting. So getting the culture and your belief in that company right from the beginning is, is really, really important. I actually think there's, a, there's a, probably a different talent issue, uh, and, and that is you know, the, the, the whole area of diversity and inclusion now within the industry. Mm. is is a problem. I mean, if you think about the marketing services industry is not being good about, um, you know, attracting and developing diverse talent or being inclusive. And to me, it's not, it's the issue, you can put the moral and ethical side to it to one side, because Mm. most people are nice people. And if you ask them, do you want the marketing services industry to be diverse and inclusive the answer is yes but it's a business issue as far as i'm concerned mm. if you put that to one side and the business issue is is that our role as marketeers is to design and implement communications with society and if our staff in a marketing services business better reflect society then we will be better our job which will make us more successful Mm. companies and you know and the snowball effect of that and so to me i think that you know there's there's one part about you know being successful as a company you know within the marketing services industry as it stands but i think the other part of it of the challenge is that the staff, the talent within marketing services industry needs to reflect society much better than it does. And that, to me, is is the step change in talent that individually as a company we need to make, let alone us as an industry. You know, you can argue whether that's as important in other industries, but in the communications industry where, you know, our, you know, society is our client in effect. Yeah. I think we're missing a big beat here, aren't we? I I recently recorded an interview with Kate Callett. She's the AI machine learning leader for um, NVIDIA, the largest AI company in the world. She's she's black, she's uh, French, doing, you know, uh, has an amazing background and career journey. And she's just doing some amazing things for NVIDIA. She credits her entry into marketing communications to an advert that she saw on Japanese TV depicting a diverse family, an African-American family, as well as a Korean family as well, with this idea that actually there is a place for her in the world. And 
she subsequently based her career decisions and her the rest of her life, which is where she is now, from that advert. So seeing someone like her on TV depicted made her think that actually um, there's a place for her in the world. And it made her think about the power of marketing communications. And I think sometimes maybe we don't, as marketeers, we don't reflect on that yes. as importantly as we, as we should. But it has tremendous power to change yes. people's lives and to change society. Yeah, and if you think, Nathan, you know, if you look, if you look, and I understand that, you know, diversity is, is, a, is a sort of very current issue today. But if you look historically at the marketing services industry, pretty much all over the world, I mean, the, the talent, the typical talent in an agency historically has been a very narrow sort of white graduate, you know, intake, hasn't it? Mm. So I agree with you. And, and, you know, the, you know, in our ability to just sort of repeat ourselves in terms of hiring that talent. I mean, historically, that is definitely what the industry has done. And to your point, and it matters that that we've got that wrong mm. historically. You know, it matters because we're then designing, you know, the communications that that society sees, not just interacts with, but does it reflect the society that, that diverse people live in? And, you know, the honest answer is it, we haven't done a very good job of that. Not yet. Not yet. Exactly. Not yet. But we're making we're making progress slowly, slowly, baby steps. So, final question about this because I'm I'm super fascinated. But I also want to talk about MSQ partners, which is where where you are now, and obviously ask our favorite questions, which we ask everyone. Yeah. So we know the problem: <laughs> this lack of diversity. What can be done about it? Because there have been many diversity initiatives over the years that have met with varying levels of success within agencies and within brands is the problem is the problem within the brands themselves because they're, they're maybe they're not demanding this from their agencies i've actually been hearing that the problem on the agency side is actually not that bad from a diversity say not that bad it's not as bad as it is on the brand side internal brand marketeers there's a there's an even there's even less diversity internally inside brands and maybe they're not demanding it from their agencies that this is important. What, 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 what can we do about it? What can be done? Um, I mean, I think that, you know, it's, this is not a project as in, you know, when you say what, you know, what can we do about it? I think there isn't a single answer to that because it's not a project where, you know, in a year from now, you and I, Nathan, can be having this discussion. We go, oh, great. Well, we fixed that problem, didn't we? Next. You know, the truth is, is that you and I could have this conversation in 10 years' time, and we will still be talking about it. Now, hopefully, you know, the progress will have been significant over that period, but it won't be done. Won't, we won't be able to sit there and go, great, this is finished. Yeah. So, so I think, first of all, I think we have to understand that it's not about putting um, a project in place within companies. It's about the realization that we have to change from from the bottom up. So that so that we have to change the way we recruit people. We have to change the way we develop talent. We have to change the the places that we go to look for talent. You know, it doesn't have to all. You know, if you're only going to look. At universities, you know, by definition, 
you're going to find a fairly narrow set of talent. Sure. And if you only look, you know, in a certain piece of geography, you're going to have the same problem, etc. So I think I think we have to sort of enlighten ourselves, first of all, um, that all these ingrained biases, you know, may they may not come from a bad place, but they've developed into this situation where we're, you know, viewing our own talent and our own businesses in far too narrow a way. So I think that all of those processes have to change. Um, but I but I think, as I said before, I think the key really is everybody understanding the moral and ethical right and wrong in all of this. But when, when we prove to ourselves that we are a better business, we are a more successful business as a diverse and inclusive company, mm. then for me, when that penny fully drops, then the floodgates should open, shouldn't it? I mean, it should do. Sure. It sounds easy, doesn't it? But, and I, and I, God, what do I know? I'm a white middle-aged man. So, you know, and, you know, living in leafy Hampshire here. So, you know, I'm well aware that I don't know shit when really, when it comes to the subject. But, but I got to believe that, that when it clearly oils the wheels of everything, society, but also the way we make money, the way we're successful, mm. um, then, then I, then I got to believe that that will open the floodgates. I couldn't agree more. And, and I think, I think you have a perspective. I think everyone's voice is, is, is valid and everyone should have a voice in the way that we shape the future, especially because of your history and, and background and your influence in the media industry. I, th I think it's, um, it's really interesting points that you make. So thank you for, for sharing them. Bench Press 2021 is now open. It is the largest survey of independent agency owners in the UK, and it's your chance to benchmark yourself against your peers. You'll receive a copy of the full benchmark results as a thank you for taking part. By taking part, you'll be able to compare yourself against your peers in several key areas, including hourly rates and profitability and sales performance. You'll also discover what the top performers do differently, insights that will have the power to transform your agency. The link to complete the survey is in the description. Let's talk a little bit about MSQ partners. You, in, in 2019, you became chairman of MSQ, a PE-backed group of nine agencies joined up to help businesses take a more innovative and effective approach to their communications. Talk a little bit about what problem you're solving. What gap did you see in the market? Um, where do you play and sit alongside the major holding groups? It could, because it's a really interesting innovative model that you guys have yeah um i mean msq is very interesting group i mean there are there are very few businesses in the agency world that look like msq we're not completely unique but they but but we're rare you know we are a very tech and data enabled group we're very uncomplicated in the way that we're organized. So it is built around the need to be agile and to be able to move fast because for obvious reasons in the marketplace, that's, that's really key. 
The nine businesses that sit within MSQ don't compete with each other. It's a big difference between us and the typical holding companies. So they don't compete with each other. They are complementary. There is some natural sort of crossover, some gray area typically between some of the businesses at certain times. But in general, they don't compete. And, um, you know, so, so, you know, getting these pieces, either all of them, um, and within MSQ, you know, we have uh, a PR business, we have a digital transformation business, you know, a, a, a data insights business, we have an ad agency, a media agency, a B2B business, packaging, um, design business. You know, it, I mean, so it's very, so it's very broad. It's very diverse, but we don't have multiples of the same businesses that compete with each other. Which has been a huge criticism against the big holding groups. Yeah, um, well, I think that the holding companies historically have been very, very. The big holding companies have been very successful, haven't they? But I think that they're under pressure now because. You know, the market's change that we've already talked about, you know, the need to be uncomplicated, to be able to change, shift, be agile, move really quickly is just not a natural state. Well, probably not for any really big company. Oil tankers. Exactly. In my experience, it's hard to get decisions made and to pivot quickly and move. Um, and then the sort of competitive, the internal competitive nature within much of those holding companies is probably, you know, where in the past that helped them build market share is now probably a, an Achilles heel for them because pure market share now, you know, just volume in that sense is, is less important um, than, than, it, than it was in the past. I think the other thing that's interesting about MSQ is that we're not dependent on legacy advertising. So, you know, it's not really the part of the business. I mean, you know, we do have an advertising agency within the business, but it's not the roots of the business. So there's no, we have no hierarchy of disciplines within MSQ. And if you looked at, I would argue, if you looked at within any of the big holding companies, even to this day, even if it's unspoken, there is a hierarchy of disciplines within the ad agency Interesting. feels it's the top of the tree. Yeah. And I think that's always been the case. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I know that no one sort of overtly says that, but, but that hierarchy of discipline is a legacy that's difficult to break within, within businesses. Yeah. Something like MSQ doesn't have that hierarchy. So, so I think it it moves at a, in a different way and pivots, okay. you know, in a in a, a completely different speed. Before um, joining MSQ, I hadn't appreciated the difference that that makes. You know, the sort of the ambition to move quickly and to make fast decisions is in part induced and. Um, and encouraged by private equity. It's quite different to working within a public company, I, I, I found. And so, you know, the sort of the encouragement to, to move at great speed, be ambitious, mm. make it happen. If you fail, don't worry, 
fail quickly and then go again is actually a really exciting place to be. But more importantly, in the, in the marketing and communications world we live in, it's necessary to be in that environment sure. where you move quickly and, and you fail quickly and then you rebuild and you do it again. And that's a very, that's a very heady place to be, but it's also a necessary sort of operating mantra uh, in, in the marketplace we live in today. Quite, quite entrepreneurial. That sort of entrepreneurial spirit that I guess that I guess that you have. It, it almost reminds me and makes me think why the big holding groups don't sort of do what the big banks have done recently by creating these sort of innovation hubs that kind of sit alongside the bank but don't sort of interfere with the way that the bank is running, so that they can do all of those things. Then they can fail fast and they can come up with new products and services and test it and see how it works. But uh, and then if it works, bring it into the larger group and then and then scale it. Um, it seems to me that the big advertising holding groups or media groups should be, maybe they are, maybe I'm, I'm not aware, but should operate, should have a similar sort of model where they do have this sort of incubator on the side and then, you know, you know to allow them to kind of innovate quite quickly and have that entrepreneurial spirit. But maybe I'm just missing that well i mean i i i think they probably are trying i think it's very difficult though because you know something relatively small and entrepreneurial to try and get inside of omnicom or wpp and sort of change it from the inside is probably really difficult mm. probably impossible i think i think the big holding companies they clearly are you know, I mean, I don't count them out, by the way, you know, they're full of smart people, and they are definitely trying to change. But it's very, very hard to change something that is so ingrained, so complicated in the way it operates, the layers of management. I mean, I remember sitting in, you know, and I, and I had a lovely time in WPP in my case, but I do remember sitting in turgid meetings that will go on forever where you're sitting there thinking you know is i mean is a decision ever going to be made here and you know or even who's responsible for making the decision i mean that wasn't clear wow you know so i think it's you know i mean they will change they are adapting but i think the question is can they do it fast enough and they will do it they won't go away but they but the, the future for those holding companies just like for the rest of us is different very different than what it was in the past and they won't dominate in the way that they they have done and therefore you know where you talk about you know the gap in the market for the likes of msq or you know a, the, you know this sort of agile uh, much more tech and data enabled businesses there, there is definitely a, a market for that, um, and and I think we we you know we're seeing that there's a number there's a number of sort of companies of a similar size that are starting to really make an impression in the marketplace. And, sure. And I that's that's good for everybody. That's good for talent, because a lot of people would like to work in different kinds of companies now. So it's good. It's good for the talent in the industry. It's definitely good for clients and brands because they're getting the choice. They don't want their agencies to operate the same mm. way as they have done in the past. They're looking for something new. Mm. 
So I think that innovation, that change that's coming in the industry, to be honest, is obviously uncomfortable for certain parts of the industry, but overall, it's an overwhelmingly positive thing to be happening. We're regenerating our own our own industry, and thank heavens for that. And all of it just adds more value to the brand and, and consumers, ultimately. Yes. They get a better product. Really fascinating. Charles, I could speak to you about this all day. I, you know, I really could, but we're running out of time. Let's get into our favorite questions. These are the questions that I ask all of my guests, so I'm really excited to ask you some of them as well. Let's start with a nice, easy one. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Well, I think in the agency business, you know, agency business is so driven by new business that you get very used to failure because, you know, if if your success rate in new business is like 50%, then you're a genius. And uh, um, so, and I'm sure my success rate in new business was less than 50%. So first of all, you know, you... So you have to get used to, to failure really quickly. So I failed, you know, multiple to, more times than I could possibly remember. But I think I always remember losing a big new business pitch. And I always remember somebody saying to me, no doesn't mean no, it means not yet. Mm. And, uh, and, I, and I really, really remembered that because I, I, I do think there's, there's truth in that. And that, you know, particularly this kind of business, you know, it's a process of getting yourself ready to win, to win that right client at the right time. And, you know, and you don't do it on day one. So I think it's a good lesson to learn that it really is just a question of not yet. You know, if you keep doing the right things, it will come right. And you need that persistence in this business, my goodness. Tell us about some of your favourite books. What books have influenced the way that you think about media, advertising, business in general, your own personal growth? What books do you keep on going back to time and time again? Well, I'm not a, I'm not a big believer in... Uh, well, no, I'm not a, it's not that I'm not a believer. I'm not a big reader of business books because that's just not the way I relax, to be honest. And... Um, but I have read one recently, you'll be pleased to hear. And that's the, um, it's called No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings from Netflix, which is all about sort of corporate culture and reinvention, transformation in a business, which I do think is is really interesting. So I do dip in and out uh, of that. But um, my favourite book, I mean, honestly, um, my stock answer would be Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom yeah. Wolfe. Okay. Um, but the honest answer would probably be there's a biography of Keith Moon from The Who. Right. And lots of sex and drugs and rock and roll. And I lo- that's a great book. That's a great book. But you have to tell everyone that you love the classics because obviously, you know, we highbrow. You gotta have you gotta have the highbrow yeah, stuff. You have to have right. the stock answer there and then go. there's the real Brilliant. answer. <laughs> What advice would you give to a millennial or a young person who's just starting their career in the advertising and media industry and who wants to achieve a smidgen of the success that you've had? I think today, I think if you can find the combination of mathematical and creative skills inside you, I think this is a great industry. If you have 
a feeling for, for, for both those ends of the scale. And typically that's, you know, you, you don't often, at least not in my generation, you didn't find those two skills in the same, in the same person. But I think, I think young, you know, the millennials and Gen Z, etc. now are much better at this. Mm. I think that combination of mathematical and creative skills is really important. Left brain, right um, brain. Yes, exactly. And um, persistence. I mean, you. I think you need to be really patient. Don't give up. You know, it's a very people-oriented business, and therefore, by definition, you know, your individual personality plays a big part in whether you're going to be successful in this industry. I think that's always been true, and it's still true. And a, a decent sense of perspective is a good thing as well. Don't take yourself too seriously, you know, and... Um, <laughs> That's where I've been going wrong, Charles. <laughs> and also learn to navigate around the bullshit um, because there's a lot of bullshit. I mean, you, you know, there's... Uh, keep it simple. Yeah. This industry has a terrible habit of overcomplicating what is already quite a complex scene. But my goodness, we are very good at overcomplicating it. So... Do your best to keep it simple. Yeah, well, we've got to sell it. Mm. We've got to impress people. Really interesting. And my final question, Charles, what do you know about growing media and advertising businesses today that you wish you knew in the beginning of your career? I I mean, there's a lot of things that, that I, you know, with hindsight would, would have been really bloody useful, to be honest. But um, looking back, there, I mean, there's, there's an awful lot that I would like to have known at the beginning that I, that I know now. But I, do, but I do think that one of the most important things is that to remember that, you know, this is an industry that, if it can, will overcomplicate everything. Don't be a part of that. You know, and I think that the number of times I was sitting in meetings where I was sitting there listening to all these experienced people talk and I was sitting there thinking, I have no idea what they're talking about. You should call it out. Say it. Because the truth is that half the room will be delighted Brilliant. to hear you go, I don't know what you're talking about. Can you say that in, you know, I understand every single word you're saying, sure. but not in English. the order you're saying them. And I think we need to call it out because half the room will be sitting there going, thank God <laughs> you asked that question. Because thank I have God. no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> and this industry has got a lot of that. Brilliant. And, and it is a complex enough business. And the industry talks gobbledygook. And then we all know many individuals that will overcomplicate everything if you give them the airtime to do it mm. and cutting through that I think is really important because simplifying and cutting through you know that the, the complex nature of what we do is a huge part of what we're hired to do is to be able to make the complex simple from a communications point of view for our clients. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when I listen to either individuals or the industry at whole, um, it's difficult sometimes to realise that that is what we're here for. So cut through that crap. Definitely. Really well said. Charles, thank you so much for doing this. You're very welcome. I enjoyed it. We have been speaking with Charles Courtier. He is currently the chairman at MSQ Partners. 
If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 100 conversations we've had now with world-class leaders in sales, marketing, and advertising. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Christoph Blaschek is our booker slash project manager. Mariam Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. Benchpress 2021 is now open. It is the largest survey of independent agency owners in the UK, and it's your chance to benchmark yourself against your peers. You'll receive a copy of the full benchmark results as a thank you for taking part. By taking part, you'll be able to compare yourself against your peers in several key areas, including hourly rates and profitability and sales performance. You'll also discover what the top performers do differently, insights that will have the power to transform your agency. The link to complete the survey is in the description. Thank you for listening to the Agency Dealmasters podcast. This show would not be possible without your support. So if you're even remotely enjoying any of the content that we have here, then we would really appreciate a rating and review because it helps other people find the show, which helps us grow, which means that we can keep giving you even better content with awesome guests, which means that you can enjoy even more success in your career. So please head over to Apple Podcasts now on your phone and give us a rating and review. Thank you.